I want the diary entry that's like, Ellen, what were you and George Bush talking about? <laughs> Ellen, did you know he's a war criminal sad face? <laughs> Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, almost all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month, my guest is Kayla, and we're reading Colleen Hoover. Hi, Kayla. Hello. What book did we read this week? Oh, we read, this week, um, I read it today, uh, It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. First impressions? I don't like it. <laughs> I, it's really <laughs> it's really not the type of story I would ever choose to read but I think again like I said last time it's fine I got secondhand embarrassment so bad a couple of times in this book that I literally had to put it down and like was like okay I, <laughs> I can't be reading this anymore I read 40, the first 46 pages in the car ride on our way home from the tournament. And I was like, I'm so glad nobody else is reading what I'm reading. And I also was experiencing embarrassment having this book with me and opened in the back of the car. I mean, at least everyone knew why you were reading it. Yeah. Yeah, that made me feel a lot better. But it... it I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with if you did want to just have this with you and read it in earnest. It just really is not for me, though. No, it wasn't really for me either. I think if it had been, like, a true romance, like, I think it could have been for me. But, like, mm -hmm. the issue is it's, like, not really a romance. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read the back of the book, and then we can do a two-minute summary, and then we can get to the meat of it? Absolutely. So, first, right before they explain it, it says, in bold, in much bigger, sometimes the one who loves you is the one who hurts you the most. I think that is a little bit silly. But I just think that's worded very poorly. But to yeah. get into the rest of the back of the book. Wait, I want to talk about that. Yes. Because I think... Absolutely. It's, like, the major issue that a lot of people have with this book, and, like, part of why this book rubs me the wrong way is because, like, that is how it's being marketed. And, like, silly little 12 to 16-year-olds reading this book are gonna internalize that, like, men can be mean to them to a threshold. And then you, you'll you have the strength to leave. Yeah. Like, the person that you love the most, frankly, shouldn't hurt you the most. Sometimes they'll really hurt your feelings, but you'll talk about it because you're grown-ups in an actual relationship. Like, not whatever bullshit idea of a relationship that, like, these girls reading Colleen Hoover are, like, building in their heads. I... I think that she really doesn't romanticize the abuse too much in this book, but I have heard that that really happens in other books, but I will get to why I believe that when we talk about the end of the book, 
But until then, the back. Lily hasn't always had it easy, but that's never stopped her from working hard for the life she wants. She's come a long way from the small town in Maine where she grew up. She graduated from college, moved to Boston, and started her own business. So when she feels a spark with a gorgeous neurosurgeon named Ryle... How have you been pronouncing his last name? Will you spell it for me? I don't remember. (laughs) K-I-N-C-A-I-D. Oh, just Kincaid? Kayla, that's Kincaid. Well, okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking, but I was worried that that was too obvious. No, it's Kincaid. That maybe this was a last name where it's not pronounced the obvious way. No, it's Kincaid. Okay, excellent. With a gorgeous neurosurgeon named Ryle Kincaid, everything in Lily's life suddenly seems almost too good to be true. It's going to be so funny if both of us are wrong about the pronunciation, though. It's not. Ryle. I went to high school with a girl whose last name is spelled that way, and it's Kincaid. Okay, excellent. Ryle is assertive, stubborn, maybe even a little bit arrogant. He's also sensitive, brilliant, and has a total soft spot for Lily. But Ryle's complete aversion to relationships is disturbing. As questions about her new relationship overwhelm her, so do thoughts of Atlas Corrigan her first love, and a link to the past she left behind. He was her kindred spirit, her protector. When Atlas suddenly appears, reappears, everything Lily has built with Ryle is threatened. With this bold and deeply personal novel, Colleen Hoover delivers a heart-wrenching story that breaks exciting new ground for her as a writer. It ends with us as an unforgettable tale of love that comes at the ultimate price. Comes at the ultimate price really sounds like someone dies in this book. (laughs) <laughs> it it really, really does, but spoiler alert, nobody dies in this book. Well, actually, I lied. Somebody dies, and it, like, to me personally, didn't matter. Oh, actually, yeah. never mind, I lied again. It does matter to the plot. but just The death is the inciting incident. Yes. I just didn't care about it. This... I don't really like a love triangle, mm-hmm. like, generally. Like, if we are looking past all of the flaws in this book and just looking at it being marketed as a romance, even if we skip past the spoiler abuse in this book, mm-hmm. like, at its core, the romance is not interesting. I agree. Because her relationship with Ryle starts, like, almost a decade after the last time she saw Atlas, and then she runs into Atlas and is like, oh, it's so good to see you, essentially. Not like, oh, well, I'm with At- I'm with Ryle, but I want to rip Atlas's clothes off his body. Like, that's really not what happens in this book. Speaking of what happens in this book, would you like to give a two-minute summary? Yeah, I'll try not to get too mad. Um, Lily, Lily's dad dies. She goes to his funeral. She refuses to speak because he was abusive to her mother and she was, like, making a statement. And then she goes and she sits on a roof and Ryle comes up to the roof and proceeds to try to break a chair in half. And she's kind of like, oh, damn, he's really hot. And then he's literally like, and this is not an exaggeration. They keep doing this thing that's like, like, honest moment, or whatever it is, 
and naked truth. Naked truth. And Lily's like, my dad was abusive to my mom, and this is the kind of day I'm having. And then she's like, what's your naked truth, Ryle? And he's like, I want to fuck you so bad right now. And Lily's basically like, I'm not that kind of girl. And then six months later, they never see each other again, and she's opening her new flower shop, and his sister walks into the shop and basically is like, well, I'm so wealthy that I don't actually need a job, but I'm so bored, so why don't you give me a job? And becomes best friends and employee of Lily. And then she meets Ryle again. And then he works a 40-hour, 48-hour shift, shows up at her apartment, and, like, begs her to fuck him. Like, it's like, please, Lily, if you just let me fuck you this one time, like, you'll never have to see me again. And it's, like, one of the most ridiculous things I've, like, ever heard. It was absurd. It was absurd. It was absurd. I'd like to talk about that more later, but it was crazy. He's practically stalking her. Not even practically. That's stalking. And so she agrees to fuck him and then takes a really long time to shower. And by the time she's back, he's asleep. Because he's been awake for 48 hours. So he's being fucking manic and chases her down to try to get her to fuck him. Um, And then they like start having a relationship. And then he comes over. She's, like, kind of seducing him while making dinner. He's telling her about this big surgery he's going to have. And then he tries to get a casserole out of the oven, and he doesn't grab a hot pad, so he drops it. It shatters on the ground. And then she laughs, and he backhands her across the face and, like, knocks her into the glass shards and the hot casserole on the ground. And, like, that's where the abuse starts. And she decides to stay because he, like, apologizes and is like, oh, my God, I lost my temper. I've never done that before. Liar. Um, He was, like, his whole deal in that first instance was I burned my hand that I need for a surgery in two days. So I panicked and pushed you out of the way while you were laughing, which is bullshit. Yeah, he literally just lies. And, like, gaslights her into thinking that he, like, didn't do it on purpose. And then he goes to dinner with her and her mom, like, two days later. She has, like, this bruise on her face and is saying she fell. And that restaurant that they go to is Atlas Corrigan's restaurant. I feel like I've been summarizing this book for, like, six minutes already. But there's, like, a lot of plot in it. There's a lot of for things to make sense, you need a lot of detail. So who is Alice Corrigan? Alice Corrigan is the homeless boy she lost her virginity to. Yes, who she's very in love with. So when she was in high school, she was, like, writing in her diary. So she's rereading all her diaries for us as the reader to be able to understand who Alice is to her. And she's writing all of them as letters to Kayla. Who is she writing them as letters to? Content warning. Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres. She is writing these letters to Ellen DeGeneres. And she is always talking about how much she loves Ellen in Finding Nemo. And she is always writing about how, like, if Dory can keep swimming, she can keep swimming. swimming. And she is always saying crazy things to Ellen DeGeneres. Like, have you ever liked a boy so much? Oh, wait. Sorry, Ellen. I guess it's for you. For you it would be a girl. It's just... Which 
is even more homophobic somehow than just asking if she's ever felt that way about a boy. So, there's all that. She, I just can't. I. We can go back to I the just, Ellen of it all. I have to go back to the Ellen parts. But what matters now is Atlas Corrigan. But we have to get through the book. So, Atlas is living in a condemned home behind her house. And she sees him in there when she's, like, 15 and he's, like, 17. And she starts bringing him food and bringing him blankets. And, like, then he gets sick, so she starts letting him sleep in her bedroom at night. And then they, like, fall in love. And then they have sex and then her abusive father comes in while Atlas is asleep in her bed and beats the shit out of Atlas. And then Atlas leaves town. And she never sees him again. Until this night at the restaurant, he sees her with this bruise on her face with a man, and she gets up to go to the bathroom because she's freaking out because it's Atlas, and he follows her into the bathroom and is like, are you okay? What's going on? Are you being abused? And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then him and Ryle get in a fist fight at the restaurant. Just because Lily was, like, talking to this old friend, basically. And then they don't really talk well, about it. She never... The, they, get in a, they get in a fist fight because Ryle walks up and she's walking out of the bathroom with a man. Which is shady, but not an excuse. Not an excuse at all. However, it was a little bit shady. And then Atlas immediately, like, shoves him up against the wall and is like... Hey, buddy. Fuck off. Yeah, don't ever touch her again, basically. Yeah. And, okay, yeah, I was really underselling Ryle's anger, anger there. My bad. Um, <laughs> and then, like, more stuff happens. And then Ryle... Oh, what's the second? Why does he shove her down the flight of stairs? Is it because he oh, finds Atlas's um, phone number in the back of her phone? in the back of her phone case. So Atlas yeah. comes to her flower shop and is like, if you ever need help, here's my phone number. And she hides it in the back of her phone case. And he finds it somehow and then shoves her down a flight of stairs. And after he, he breaks shoves- her phone in half. And oh, wow. And shoves her down a flight of stairs. And then she goes to her best friend's house, who is also... Ryle's sister, and is like, here's what's happening, and she's like, Ryle really needs to tell you something. And Ryle's like, the reason I have anger management issues is because I shot and killed my brother on accident when I was a child. Bonkers. Bonkers! Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, I shot and killed my brother on accident when the three of us were five, six, and seven, and I have anger issues. I've been in therapy forever, but when I get mad, I literally black out. So when I hurt you, I wasn't even there. That's, like, his excuse for it. I also kind of got the vibe that he didn't actually tell his sister what happened. He, like, probably was like, oh, it was a fight. And then she was like, oh, hear him out. Because his sister ends up being generally a good person throughout yes. the novel. So yes. I don't think that she knew she got pushed down the stairs. 
No. Well, and I don't think she knew either that, like, Ryle, fully unprompted, came after Lily. Like, it wasn't like they, like, got in an argument. It was like, she came home and he, whatever she said, he was going to push her down a flight of stairs. Yeah. Like, oh, no, actually, that's, or, not, that's not what happened that time. That was the third one. This one, she, he was mad, and he, like, left the apartment, and she chased after him. And when she was chasing him, pushed her down the stairs. Right, right, right. The third abuse. The third one. Is he reads all of her out. diaries to Ellen. And they, oh, well, they decided that to, like, solve his anger management issues, she would just ask him to walk away, and they would talk about things when he calms down. Which works literally, like, one time. And then, he finds the letters to Ellen, ridiculous sentence, and finds out who Atlas is, and finds out where the magnet she keeps on her fridge is from, The, like, magnet of Boston that Atlas gave her when she was, like, 15 after she lost her virginity to him. And he, like, tries to, trigger warning, tries to bite the heart tattoo on her neck off. He attempts to rape her and just, like, stops. And we don't really know why he stops. Besides the fact that I think that Colleen Hoover didn't want him to rape her. Which I'm glad she didn't want that. I mean, yeah. This was a tough read. It None of it, again, it wasn't super well written. And I do have things to make fun of about this book. But none of what I have to make fun of has to do with any of the domestic violence in the book. Like, it wasn't super no. well written. But it is still just a tough read. And not a tough read because... I think she's a bad writer. It just was really uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that it being written the way it was maybe made it a little bit more uncomfortable for me. Like, it would have been less uncomfortable if it had been better written. I I don't want to say that I would ever be comfortable to read about. Well, that's why I said less uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know. I've read books with that are, like, heavy in, like, abuse in some way. But none of them made me feel the way that this book made me feel. Like a little, like the book of Little Life, basically trauma porn, did not make me have the reaction that this book made me have. And then, um, the Poisonwood Bible also has an abusive man in it, but nothing happening there made me feel the way that this Colleen Hoover book made me feel. And I don't really know what it is that is causing me to feel this way. Or uncomfortable in this specific way. I think maybe it's because she really... I don't know if she... And maybe I just didn't read closely enough, but I don't know if she did a great job of leading us into the abuse. 
Like, I almost think... Probably. Like, I almost think that she was going for almost, like, shock and awe. Because, like, Ryle is not particularly manipulative. And, like, oftentimes I think in narratives where men are abusive... You feel like an undercurrent of discomfort in lots of their interactions. And in yeah. this one, she kind of has Ryle do just like full 180 flips. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that there are abusive relationships in this world that are similar to the abusive relationship portrayed in this book. But I also think that, like, we as the reader, I I think that she is trying to build too much sympathy for Ryle in a book that is marketed as romance with a love triangle. It simply should not be marketed as romance in a love triangle. I think part of the reason why I am uncomfortable with this book, uh, I I don't really know how to phrase this yet, except maybe that this book for Colleen Hoover was raw and personal, but it was not beautifully written. Yeah, this feels... If that makes sense. This feels... Let me get through this. This feels like a letter to Ellen. The whole book. You know, like, okay, so we really abandoned the two-minute summary. However, I will say, when I, so, like, Verity had the manuscript within the rest of the story, and this book also has that, in a way. It has the letters to Ellen in addition to the other, like, the main plot of the story. And I think letters to Ellen are written better than the rest of the story. Like, they're Here's ridiculous. Why. Here's they're why. ridiculous. But I think it's because it's written from a teenage perspective. That's what, no, I, that's what I'm, I agree. Because that's what you're gonna say. Colleen Hoover does not have an advanced writing style. So when she's writing as a teenager, acting like a teenager, it rings a little bit more true Almost to an uncomfortable level. I don't really want to read about a 15-year-old having her first time in the same book that I am reading about her talking to Ellen DeGeneres about wanting to keep swimming like Dory. That's deeply uncomfortable to me. Like, I don't want to read... Honestly, this is maybe a hot take, but I think the way that she handled, like needing to talk about a teenager losing her virginity, I think she handled it well, because there were no details there. And that should be the answer. She should not go into detail there. So it was fine that she just said that it happened. It was like, she was like being coy about it to Ellen. I'm like, Ellen, I cannot tell you what just happened. But something that I loved happened, and I think that, I don't know, like, it, Controversially, like, writing, because it's not advanced writing, it makes it better. No, it rings true. 
And the rest of the book doesn't ring true. I'm sorry, my internal monologue does not sound like 30-year-old Lily Blooms. Like, I don't know if anyone's internal monologue sounds like 30-year-old Lily Blooms. I want to very quickly summarize the rest of the book, and then I want to get into the beginning. Because in the, like, part one of the book, I am willing to make fun of a lot of things in there, but part two, I am not really going to take that step. So, to finish the summary, to finish the summary, the big part, the big, the big abuse is that the, well, okay, I literally am losing my mind trying to find the wording for it. Her breaking point is he comes in, he uh, tries to ass- sexually assault her, stops, but then headbutts her and knocks her unconscious. And then she falls asleep, and when she wakes up, she uh, gets out from underneath him in the bed. She has Atlas's phone number memorized. She texts him, and he comes and picks her up, and she stays at his house for a few days. And after a few days, Ryle... Um, had already accepted a job in England, and so he moves out of there. And so now she has the apartment back to herself. And so while she's staying with Alice for a few days, she's like, damn, like, I'm so confused right now because I really love my husband, but I don't think he exists anymore. And I'm so confused about Atlas because I never actually got closure with him. And now that I'm with him, like, I'm feeling a lot of things towards him but she ends up moving back into her apartment and oh so the night that she left with atlas she he takes her to the hospital to stitch up her forehead and that's where she finds out that she's pregnant and so she moves back into her apartment and she starts to show and so she's forced to tell her bestie and ryle's sister Alyssa, that she's pregnant uh but Alyssa kind of forces her to tell her because they're talking and Alyssa's like you have been acting so weird ryle has been acting so weird Tell me what the fuck is up. And so uh, Lily does tell her and Alyssa uh, is like, as Ryle's sister, I wish I could tell you to give him another chance. But as your best friend, if you ever speak to him again, I am never speaking. If you take him back, I'm never speaking to you again. So that's a W for Alyssa. And so Ryle comes back early from England is really sad that Lily didn't tell him uh, that she was pregnant. They have, like, a weird, tense relationship for a little bit where he's kind of around, but she's like, do not ask me to forgive you. Do not speak kindly to me. Do not do anything. And so then she ends up going into labor, and he's like, oh, my God, like, I love this baby. And she, while he's holding his daughter for the first time, she's like, I want to divorce. And he's like, uh don't do that. And she's like, what would you do if your daughter or like if Riley, his niece says to you, like my boyfriend hit me, but he said that it was an accident. So she describes all the things that he did to her. And it was like, what would you do? Like, what would you tell her? And so they get divorced. And then there's an epilogue where uh, her and Atlas get together at the end. I know I just read it, but I don't, Super and then there's an entire book where her and Atlas get together at the end. 
and that's like the next book, I guess the sequel to this. It's called It Starts With Us, but it ends with us. She also, like, to her baby in her arms after telling Ryle she wants to get divorced is like, it ends with us, Emerson. Like, it ends with us. Oh, also, she makes her baby's middle name Dory. I somehow missed that, but I am, that's, that's crazy. I'm so sorry. This, this whole book feels kind of like a fever dream, because she's really trying to do something here, but then she's like, letters to Ellen, loves Dory the fish, name is Lily Bloom, owns a flower shop, and it's like, okay, either write the book or don't write the book, but like, Whatever, like, middle ground, have-to-sell-it-as-a-romance bullshit that your editor pushed on you, like, have a fucking spine, Colleen. Yeah. So I do want to talk about the very beginning of the book. The fact that her name is Lily Blossom Bloom? No fucking way. That's ridiculous behavior. That's just fucking ridiculous behavior. Also, Atlas Corrigan? Also. Ryle Kincaid? Like, all of these names, she was like, let's have some crazy names up in here. Like, let's do something nuts, so. And controversially, I really appreciated it. Well, I didn't, because she made, like, half of this book feels like a farce. Yeah, half of this book, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but I think Colleen Hoover should be a comedy writer. Yes, but the issue is she does not feel that way. So, but Letters to Ellen, brilliant. That's so fucking funny. It was, I texted every person I knew. Every person I knew who was, like, up to date on what was happening on the pod, I was like, you'll never believe this. Okay, I do want to say, though, that this book was written in, like, 2015 or 2016, and that maybe was, like, a little bit of a golden age for Ellen. Oh, that's true. She had not become BFFs with George W. Bush because they're both rich yet. Exactly. And so Ellen was, like, this was, like, it was in good, not necessarily, it's never in good taste to be writing letters to Ellen, but it was, like, not... (laughs) Ellen wasn't canceled yet. It was when people it was when people loved Ellen. So if there was any time to have somebody be writing diary entries to Ellen, this was the time to be writing diary entries to Ellen. Also, out of everything Ellen could have been canceled for, it is ridiculously funny. That it was her sitting next to George Bush at a baseball game. That's so rich. Out of everything that she's done. Well, and, like, they were sitting next to each other in box seats. Like, to my understanding, it was, like, they, like, I don't know. It wasn't just that she was sitting next to George W. Bush. It was that she was yucking it up with George W. Bush and... They that were she was like, it up. they were bestieing it up. And then when people were like, why are you being besties with a war criminal? She was like, 
we agree on many things, me and George W. Bush, just like we disagree on many things. And it was like, oh, so you're rich. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about this. So in the diaries to Ellen, she would be like, Ellen, this episode was so funny. Ellen, like, I want to know about what you're doing when you're not on the show. Uh, Ellen, what was it like interviewing Barack Obama? I want the diary entry that's like, Ellen, what were you and George Bush talking about? (laughs) Ellen, did you know he's a war criminal? Sad face. Well, I like that diary entry. One of the other things she says in the diary, like, she's really brown-nosing for Ellen in the diary. It is so crazy. She's like, Ellen, I have been too busy making out with this boy to watch your show, but don't worry. I've been recording it, so you're still getting the views. Yes. This is, okay, so you have to admire how dedicated she is to loving what she loves. That's true. Our... Is being an Ellen DeGeneres girl. She doubled down on it. Yes, that's so Uh, true. So, there were some insane things that she said in In the letters to Ellen. Ellen. Um, Uh, One of the funniest sentences. Before we get there, I want to. Okay, you know what? We can start with that. That's fine. We, I think we unfortunately can make fun of this sentence, even though it is about abuse. Yeah. Um, so she, in her letters to Ellen, like, writes a lot about the relationship between her mother and father, and they get in a fight in the garage, and he has, like, pinned her mother down. Her her father has pinned her mother down and is choking her, and in this letter to Ellen, she writes, basically, like, Ellen, you'll never believe what I saw. He was choking her, Ellen. Like, he we have to... choking her, Ellen. We have to commit this hard no to the letters to Ellen? No way. Um, One of the other really I whack cannot, things... I could not believe my eyes. I could... I was like... Uh, that was one of the times that I had to just, like, put the book down. Because I was like... No fucking way. Like, you had to bring Ellen DeGeneres into this? You, like, why did you, why did you bring Ellen into this? <laughs> one of the other- well, at, least said, at least, it is, it is canon in the book that she never actually mailed these letters to Ellen. But what I want to know now is how Ellen DeGeneres read It Ends With Us. And what does she have to say about it? True. True. The other, like, pretty fucked up thing that this 15-year-old says to this homeless 17-year-old is, like, just keep swimming. Be like Dory. Like, be like Dory. Just keep swimming. You can do it. That, here, let me, let me finish articulating why I was uncomfortable with their teenage relationship. I think that these letters were very true to life with who you are as a 15-year-old in terms of, like, truly how young she sounds. And that, I think, even though she is not descriptive with the sex, I don't really want this 15-year-old girl who thinks it's appropriate to, like, say Finding Nemo, like, 
metaphors to try to help someone to be having sex. Like, especially... here's the deal. I think that that is... The Finding Nemo thing is absolutely something a corny 15-year-old would say. Of, like, watching a movie with her boyfriend... And, like, because he's in on it, too. He's also saying it. She's, like, just keep swimming. Like, you'll make it through living in this abandoned house. And he's, like, just keep swimming. You can make it through living in this abusive household. Like, they think they're being so deep with this. Of, like, it's not just a kid's movie. Like, this is, I'm saying, like, that's so something that high schoolers would think what was way more uncomfortable to me is that in like when they meet she's 15 and he's 18 and she's like pretty close to turning 16 but he asks her several times like how old she is and when she's turning 16 like that was weird sam and i talked about this a lot with um the hateful co-worker books which is essentially like if you have to like justify your relationship by being like oh like don't worry we checked with hr and they said it was fine if you have to check with hr it's not fine like if you feel like something about your relationship might be illegal then it's not fine. You just shouldn't do it. And, like, that's yeah. kind of what's right. happening but two, two here. But truly, two and a half years is nothing. But they were just being... Being weird about it is what makes it weird. Well, and he could have... He literally could have been, like, 16 going on 17. And it, like, wouldn't have ruined anything. No, like... Yeah, that's true. Oh, he has to be 18, though, for it to make sense that his parents kicked him out. No. It doesn't, because I think... Oh, yeah, does does he say, like, CPS won't help me because I'm 18? Yes, he's like, I can get no help from the government because I'm a legal adult. Like, they cannot make my family, le- like, let me back in, and I cannot receive help from them. Just make Lily 16. Exactly. So, something that I read like, in a Goodreads she- review was basically, like, Colleen has an inability to write healthy relationships, because even in her, like, her healthy relationship between, like, young Atlas and Lily, like, she still makes it kind of fucked up with the age difference. And, like, every relationship in in Verity is fucked up. And I bet every relationship in Ugly Love is gonna be fucked up. Oh, you know what? There's actually one relationship in It Ends With Us that isn't fucked up. And Is it Marshall and Alyssa? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Marshall 
is Alyssa's husband. And Marshall and Ryle were best friends. And then Alyssa and Marshall got together. And then Marshall, like, sold an app, basically. And now brings in, like, seven figures a year. Easy. Yeah. And so, like, their whole job is just, like, to be rich. And, like, provide support. And you know what? Yeah. It's so interesting that her main characters are such fucking weirdos. Because her side characters, like, tend to be fairly normal, it seems. Absolutely. Like, Yeah, they were fun. Alyssa and Marshall were fun. They were, like, wearing onesies to get free beer. Well, and, like, in Verity, like, the nurses who take care of Verity, so normal. So normal. And we're meant to feel like those nurses are, like, crazy for treating Lowen the way that they are, for, like, basically being, like, we know you're gonna fuck him, and, like, we don't like you for it. And we're, like, really supposed to be, like, wow, these nurses are such bitches. They're advocating, like, they're advocating for their patient. Do you think the nurses knew that Verity was fine? Was, was faking? Um. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I bet one of them suspected. I think the mean one, I think the mean one did. Yeah, I think the mean one suspected. I don't think she knew knew, because I think she would have tried to help Verity. But I think that she had some little thoughts in her brain. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about Too Many Hands, because we can talk a little about a bit about, like, the romance in this book and how it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and then we can talk about the writing style a little bit, and then, I don't know, we'll go from there. We'll probably dig in on Goodreads and actually try to have a nuanced conversation about the abuse in this book. Not super nuanced, though. Maybe. I'm not trying to go crazy. Okay. Here's what I have in too many hands. This book deserved to be bonked. Maybe not quite <laughs> as badly as Verity, because there isn't, like, a comatose patient. But, like, she is lusty. So lusty. Especially for Ryle at the beginning. She cannot get over him and his scrubs. Like, she is speaking on the scrubs. And I I can understand it. Scrubs can be hot. uh, Which is why I'm dating a woman in STEM. But also, not that hot. Not to do as much as she was doing in this, but, like, while I was reading her being like, oh my god, his scrubs. Like, I was mad at him, but then when I opened the door, he was wearing his scrubs. Um, dude, I bet she loves Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Well, I put in the outline... That show has to be her jam. I put in the outline, scrubs are my weakness, like, that this is, like, very Stephanie Myers. Stephanie Meyer, Edwards Khaki, like Mormon core. No, scrubs are way hotter than khaki. No, no, no. What I'm trying to say is like, 
this is very, like, I am, like, describing something that people normally wear and just being crazy about it. Okay, like, that's fair. so many people work in medicine, and that's just, like, their uniform. Like... Uniforms are famously sexy. So, she also, she says things like, scrubs are my weakness. She also is like, maybe he'll, like, use his oh. stethoscope while we're having sex. Um, and what? And he does. He does. He's um, like, oh my god. I'm gonna get your heart rate Ow. above 140 or else I'm doing my job wrong. And oh, then she, like, right. comes She's and her heart goes crazy and he's like, oh yeah. Like, I did it. Not hot. It was not hot. Bulging through his scrubs. Bonk. That was nasty of her. Well, and she keeps being like, I wonder if he can leave the scrubs on during sex. You know what scrubs are worn at a hospital. You know what is coding a hospital? Germs and fluids. No, he can't leave them on during sex. So. Last week, I went to but visit if he my- he changed into a clean pair. Why would he clean into- change into a clean pair? Why wouldn't he just change into street clothes? Because she got a scrub peak. But she doesn't say it to him. A <laughs> scrink, if you will. <laughs> no, she doesn't say it to him. So, <laughs> what I am thinking about- So, last week, I went to visit my grandma- and one, she told me she no longer thinks I'm a whore for having a nose ring because she found out nose rings are in the Bible. And two, she was like, well, do you have a, t-? she was like, do you have a tattoo yet? And I was like, no, not yet. And she, ba- she goes, she like sat down in her chair and she was like, personally, I would be worried about HPV. And that's kind of how I feel about how horny she's being about the scrubs is like, Personally, I would be a little worried about HPV. Like, I don't really want anything that has been near a bunch of really sick people anywhere near my coochie. Like, frankly, if my partner worked in a hospital and was a doctor, that man would have to shower before he got anywhere near me. He's living in germ world. He spends 12 hours a day in germ world. Of coochies. And having them in precarious situations. (laughs) (laughs) Colleen Hoover loves to have a pussy in a predicament near food. (laughs) That is a reference to one, the steak and shake fingering incident (laughs) in Verity. And two, there's a scene in, I guess not a scene, just a moment in this novel where Lily Blossom Bloom is pussy out cooking a casserole. And pussy out Which, on purpose. She's just wearing an pussy apron. Out, yeah, pussy out Nothing on purpose. Else. She's just in an apron. She's, like, trying to be sexy. However, casserole is not a sexy food. Deeply unsexy. I make a casserole Deeply when I'm, like... Deeply unsexy food. I make a casserole when I'm like, I'm at the end of my rope. Here's what I have in the house. I can go buy a can of cream of chicken soup, and that will do good enough. Like, that will take me through. Down bad food. Yeah. It's it's just not great. 
I don't know what is a horny food, but it's, but not, it's casserole. not casserole. I think anything like okay. So I don't think there's any specific food or it's like hot, but like I think that if she were to be pussy out cooking a fancy meal, that's much hotter than pussy out cooking the casserole. Now, I'm going to get a, oh my god, Tucker off of this, but like, butter basting a steak? Ew. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> because of the basting. <laughs> well, no, you Jesus don't use like, Christ, you just like, dog. you just like fry the steak in butter and then like scoop the melting butter in the really hot cast iron like onto the steak. All I'm saying that if she's trying to ha- make, like, a pussy-out dinner, she's not making a casserole. She is, like, frying something in oil on the stove. I just don't think you can fry something in oil on the stove it exposed like that. I just, like... I... Also, I don't know. I live in a in a blinds-open apartment. Because I have a lot of plants to keep alive. So, like... Yeah. But also, I think in Boston, there's probably a lot less windows because it's a lot colder there. So they just have to have more insulation. So maybe there's no window near her kitchen, and this is fine. But, like... This also feels just, like, very exposed, not just, like... In her kitchen to the elements, but also, like, to the world. Oh. But maybe that's just because I have a full wall of windows in my kitchen. Yeah, I don't think that her kitchen is like that. I didn't picture it that way. No, it was probably pretty enclosed. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually going to go back to the beginning of the book, where, um... So, when she first meets Ryle on the rooftop, he is like, I would literally never have a girlfriend. Like, that would be the worst thing that happened to me, is to have a girlfriend, because I'm so focused on my career, and I'm so ambitious, that I would never let anything stop me from that. But I do love a one-night stand, but he's truly like, I'm allergic to it. I'm allergic to commitment, gag, relationships. And then, like you said, he shows up at her door and literally gets on his knees and is like, please have sex with me. Like, I just need to circle back to this because of how down bad this man was for Lily Blossom Bloom. On his knees? After meeting her, like, two times? Here's what I'll say. For real? Here's what I'll say. I don't think any, I feel like if you are awake for 48 hours, you have like maybe an eighth of the self-control you started those 48 hours with by the end. Like, frankly, the fact that he still has the ability to be horny 48 hours awake, kind of shocking. He's breaking new grounds in horniness. He is breaking new grounds in horniness. Grounds in horniness. If I've been awake for more than like, 16 hours. I'm like, the only thing I'm thinking about is getting in my bed and falling asleep. Like, I'm not thinking about a single other thing besides getting in my bed and falling asleep. I just, okay. 
I'm not going to comment on my horniness, but I don't think I would ever be, like, falling to my knees because someone said they didn't want to have a one-night stand with me. No, that's crazy behavior. Like, I did the, just that ridiculous He's of stalking up her. To her apartment. No, the like finding her apartment and then dropping to his knees because he wants pussy that badly. He's Come stalking on, her. That is stalking. And like, she, I think she, she's she told, her, she told him where she lived. But not which apartment it was. He knocks on 29 doors to get to her. And I think this is when True. we can, like, get into the, like, Goodreads aspect of the, like, romanticiz- rom- romanticization of abuse. Where, like, we are supposed to see him doing this as romantic. Yeah, it was, that was, like, super weird. Like, it's like, that's creepy like, as fuck. being, like, you have to, like, sus- like, like, make some excuses to, like, find it funny or, like, romantic that he's doing that. But it is deeply creepy to have met twice and then come into her apartment. Like, that's so scary. To, this like, is the kind of thing you read about in a Twitter thread. Why you have sex to me? Yes. Like, this is the kind of thing that a girl is, like, I, like, showed my ID to a bartender and then, like, Three days later, he had, like, tracked me down on Facebook yeah. and was, like, knocking at my door trying to get me to go on a date with him because he thought it was romantic of him to just, like, show up out of the blue. Oh, okay. Also, I want to talk about the first time that they had sex. The way that it's written is, like, he came in 30 seconds. Did you also feel that way? Yes. Because he's, like... That is the... He's like, baby girl, you're gonna love having sex with me. Like, (laughs) I'm so good at it. Like, if you think I'm good with my hands because I'm a surgeon, you have not seen what I can do with my dick. And then it's like three three thrusts and he's done. (laughs) That is... That is kind of what happens. That's the other thing that I don't like about the romance in these books is it's like, girls, if you think this is hot, like... Read a little more. Like, find yeah. some other books. There, like, there's gotta be better smut out there. There is. I you am often speaking on there. how there is. I would like, I know that there's gonna be, I, I don't think Colleen Hoover has a single book without a sex scene, but I'm gonna say that of the two, two of the two that we've read so far, Verity, even though they were fucking bonkers, The Verity sex scenes are still better than these. The Verity sex scenes are better. And part of it is because, I don't know, it kind of felt in this book that, like, even the parts that were, like, her being, like, explicitly pleasured for the purpose of, like, her coming and not as just, like, a prequel to him, like, still... All of it felt like it was about him. Also, he was, like, weirdly controlling during sex, which I don't know if that was supposed to, like, tell us something about him later becoming abusive later in the book. But, like, you... It... It is, like... That's kind of, like, her tossing into Verity, like, oh, yeah, I have a boyfriend who liked to choke me. Like, I don't know why... 
she will just, like, throw in, like, really controlling aspects to her sex scenes before, like, any sort of, like, quote-unquote, like, more regular sexual encounter. Like, if they're hooking up and, like, she has said she doesn't do one-night stands, chances are she's not gonna, like, get really horny when he does something super controlling and weird and basically says something about, like, owning her. Like, that... Yeah. Like, none of what she is writing ties together. Like, she's like, I'm trying to do this really cool thing. Well, not cool thing, but she... She is really trying to do it to him with the abuse plotline. But then she's, like, writing smut that, like, doesn't make any sense with the plot she's trying to write in the book. Like, the plot is antithetical to what we know about Lily as a character. Yeah. Okay, something I will also say is that she's, like, Ryla and I have really crazy sex, and the really crazy sex is just him going down on her. Or him, like, pinning her wrists a little bit. Yeah. Like. Okay. Okay. Was that so crazy, girl? Yeah, okay, there's one part where he goes down on her, and she's like, best day ever. She does say that. She literally says, best day ever. Best period day period ever. About her... Her long-term partner going down on her? Ask for better! Yeah, like, come on. That... Like, ask for better! Uh, girl, get some more. I uh, yeah. That's... <sighs> okay. Let's talk about Goodreads a little bit. Oh my god, I think Sam is having second dinner. I can smell toast. Second dinner. Well, yeah, I don't have any food in the house. What did he have for first dinner? Uh, grilled cheese with some ham on it. Okay. But, like, he's he's burning toast. I can smell it coming through the vents. Um, so, here... I have a really specific pet peeve that I want to talk about before we have to have any nuance. And it's that I hate when people, and this is not an attack on you at all, but I hate when people are like, a grilled cheese with this meat on it. Like, no, it's just a ham sandwich now. Oh, that's so fascinating. That's a ham fucking sandwich. I don't agree with that at all. I think if you put butter on the outside of the bread and put cheese on it and you grill it in a pan, it's a grilled cheese. Then it's a grilled ham sandwich okay we're gonna just have to agree to disagree on that one because like i would not call it a grilled ham sandwich you know what i would call a ham and cheese sandwich a hot ham and cheese is what no 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 what i would call a hot ham and cheese is what my mom used to make when she like really was not gonna make dinner and she would just like buy hamburger buns and then wrap them in tinfoil and like melt some butter and like put it on the bun, and then put ham and cheese in it, and wrap it in tinfoil, and then bake it in the oven for, like, ten minutes, and then you just have, like, crunchy, soft, gooey ham and cheese sandwiches. 
One, delicious. Two, easy. Like, that's a hot ham and cheese to me. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say that that is not a pussy out meal, but you are talking about your mom cooking dinner. But I just wanted to go back to the casserole. Just my list of foods that you can't cook pussy out. Yeah. Cheese. Grilled no. cheese. Pussy has to yeah, be put away. Hot no. ham and cheese. No pussy out. I mean, you and I are in agreement that there is no meal that you can cook pussy out. All I was trying to say earlier was that she could have picked, no, like, there, a there, shockingly there sexier meals. food. There's, there are some meals that could be pussy out. Kayla, what meals could be pussy out? Please inform me. You are, you already said basting. So, which is the horniest thing you could have said. It was well, the, she was trying to, to be horny. She was, she had her pussy out making dinner. I was just making a point that there was a much hornier food she could have chosen if she wanted to go that route. I think the only horny, okay, so I think maybe lobster could be a pussy out food. You but want me to shred a crustacean with my hands? With my pussy out eating dinner? Your pussy's under the apron. Here's the thing. The real thing is that if you are being pussy out in an apron, your pussy has to be the meal. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes, that's the truth. And like ideally, talk about Goodreads. Mm -hmm. Okay. So ideally, no. What ideally? What? I ideally, if this book was not about abuse, that is what would have happened. But unfortunately, he had to grab a hot casserole out of the oven with his bare hands and then blame her for it. Which, I know he was drunk, but that's still inexcusable. He had, like, a glass and a half of wine. Like, you are so fucking stupid. Even, okay, like, I was drunk out of my mind off of one tall bush peach last night. But I was not drunk enough to grab, like, reach into a hot oven. Okay, when I am drunk, I am so much more careful than when I am sober. Like, if I have had a glass of wine, I'm like, oh my god. If I'm in the kitchen, I have to be more careful than I've ever been near the oven. Like, I need to be using two hot pads on each hand. Like, if I I were drunk, I would never be in the kitchen to cook. Correct. Like, that's, that's a thing that, like, doesn't make sense here is, like, to me, at least, my... I don't get, like, less, I, like, get less fearful about some things when I'm, like, tipsy or drunk, but I, like, definitely other things, like, oh my god, if I'm drunk, I will not go outside in the dark. Even if I am, like, unless I am, like, with a large group of people, and even then, like, Harvest two years ago, when I was drunk for a very long time, I held hands with, like, someone who was near me the entire time. It didn't matter who it was. I was just like, I am drunk enough that someone has to be holding my hand and it has to be someone I know and they, like, have to be here. Like, I'm not going to be by myself. But, like, I was also 
like, one of the girls at Truman, a guy was, like, being weird to her, and I literally turned to him and I was like, you can stay at the party, but you can't be near us. And was like, you need to go away. So, like, I don't know why I'm, like, I'm in danger of getting lost, and also, like, get the fuck out of here, you creep. Like, tequila tuck is ready to box. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It really is kind of crazy how much different al- alcohols affect the way different people act. I've heard like, it's a myth. What? I've heard that's a myth. Uh, that is not a myth to me. In my person, maybe I'm like, it's a like placebo effect. It's a I placebo, mean, yeah. probably. Maybe. I honestly could not care less about the science behind it, but I did. Just want to say that I've heard it's a myth. But you okay. don't think it is. Goodreads. We can do this. We can talk about Goodreads. Ugh, okay. Because we are an hour five in. Um, So I think I want to talk about Goodreads. There's kind of two camps here. No way. The world has a binary. No way. So basically, there are either women who read this book with nuance, or there are women who did not. Or I guess readers. Sorry. There are readers who read this book with nuance, or there are readers who did not. And so Uh the ones who read it with nuance, I think, are asking smart questions about why is this marketed as a romance and a love triangle? And, like, I respect what Colleen is trying to do, but I think it's flawed. And there are people who, like pick out specific quotes and are like, but maybe Ryle is fine. Or, like, people are, like, swooning over Atlas because, like, one line. So, basically, Ryle, like, yells at Atlas and is basically like, oh, yeah, the homeless dude you pity fucked. And, like, Lily kind of goes out of her way to be like, I'm so sorry he said that to you. That is, like, a fucking ridiculous thing for him to say, and I'm so sorry. And Atlas goes, I know it wasn't a pity fuck, Lily. I was there. But, like, Atlas is 18 and she's 15 when that happens. So, like... she had It was on her 16th birthday. Oh, yes. So it is not statutory rape. Let's go. Nope. Um... But, like, LFG. essentially, like, the two camps are readers who are, like, both these men are hot and flawed, and this book is a romance, and, like, there are things in this book that, is, that are worth swooning over, and there are people who are, like, I respect Colleen Hoover as an author. Let's ask some intelligent questions here. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of quotes from Goodreads that I want to read that are asking intelligent questions. So Colleen Hoover has a quote talking about her books where she says, As a fellow reader with my fair share of past experiences, I understand that there are issues some people do not want to read about. But as a writer, there are many things I don't want revealed in the blurbs of my books. And she goes on... The, the writer of this Goodreads review goes on to say that this is extremely irresponsible and inconsiderate of the author. Furthermore, this book has been and is marketed as a love triangle, and Colleen Hoover employs the fact that Ryle is an abusive fucker as a plot twist. 
In the author's note, she states that in the past, I've always said I write for entertainment purposes only. I don't write to educate, persuade, or inform. This book is different. Yet she continues to format this more serious book similarly. And that similarly is, like, to the format of her books where she is being, like, just an entertainer. And I think that's, like, really credible critique. Like, I I think to market this book as, like... Like, this is the issue that I had with the Emily Henry books being just romances. Like, just market your fucking book as women's fiction. You will still sell books. People love to read trauma porn. They love to read trauma porn. We're so fucked up in the head that we love it. So, like, just market this as fucking women's fiction and move on. Uh Uh-huh. Also, I I do think it's very irresponsible not to have trigger warnings. Even if she did trigger warn for domestic violence, which she absolutely needs to be doing in a book like this, it doesn't, quote-unquote, ruin the plot twist that Ryle is abusive because her parents' relationship is abusive, and that does not come as a twist at all. It also is not a plot twist that Ryle is abusive. It's set up for the entire time. I also think it's just, like, on principle bad to use something like abuse as a plot twist. This book would have been so much better if there was a creeping sense of dread. Mm -hmm. But there isn't really a creeping sense of dread. He is just suddenly backhanding her across the face and then, like, telling her he, like, lost his temper and is so sorry. Like, I do think that that is a pretty accurate representation of a lot of people's experience with domestic violence. Like, women thinking they found this perfect man and then as soon as they have a binding agreement to stay together, the mask slips. Which, it slips before they go to Vegas and get married. Which, first of all, Vegas wedding is also ridiculous. But, I, I do think that it, if she is looking to be truly an entertainment writer, I don't think that she did either options very well. Because there is some sense of dread into how bad the abuse is going to get and it also is a like a I guess like a twist for him to be so perfect and then abusive but like she could have made the relationship between them better like it still could have been well more well written for the payoff that she wanted but I do think that it's just I don't know it's yeah it it's just, it's icky to it's, try so hard to capitalize off of your trauma. It's also, like, everything about this book is just a little off. Yeah. I just, like, I put down here in the outline that, like, I don't know if this book is necessarily romanticizing abuse, which is a criticism that's, like, leveled against it pretty often 
But something about this book is rubbing me wrong and rubbed me wrong the whole time that I was reading it. If it were romanticizing abuse, she would not have divorced him. Correct. I agree I with do, that. Like, yeah, I, think it, it, I think it is true to survivors to acknowledge the struggle of, like, why don't women leave? It's because they generally do love that person very much or are very fearful. So it's not romanticizing abuse for her to have Lily still talk about how much she loves Ryle and how sad she is to, like, have to leave. Because she is, like, like she said, grieving someone who doesn't actually exist. And that's horrible. But I, like, this book isn't particularly good. But I, I think that it would be unfair to say that it romanticizes abuse. Yeah. I, I have been trying to figure out how to articulate how it's romanticizing abuse, and I'm really struggling to. I do think that some of the other things that are really clunky are the fact that, like, um, we're supposed to, like, I don't know, like, admire that Ryle is starting to grow by only being able to understand that, like, Lily should leave him by saying, what if someone did this to your daughter? That is tired. And it is, like, frankly embarrassing that to most men it takes some type of metaphor on that line to be like, oh, I guess she should leave. Like, it, it is embarrassing that it takes an, uh, like, actual relationship to a woman as, like, a mother or a sister or a close friend to, like, understand that, like, abuse on all counts is wrong and the woman should leave. Like, it is, like, mind-boggling to me. Because, like, I don't know if your friends are the you-should-leave-him type of friends. And I do try not to be the dump him friend because I think that it is, like, really hard to talk to your friends about problems that you're having in your relationship if your friends are just like, well, dump him. Because, like, yeah, abuse? Probably probably a dumpable offense on all counts, but, like, miscommunication, things you need to work on, like, no. Not every single one of those is a dump him offense. But, like, for, for men to take a to have to have a relationship with a woman to understand that abuse is bad, fuck off. Yeah. Like, be better. And so for this book to be like, oh, Ryle is growing? No, he's not. That isn't growth. Like, that's just, I don't know. It's tired. It tired me. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be this, like, big revelation. That's not a revelation. I don't think that that's how I took it when that scene was happening. I think that he knew the whole time that he was bad and that she should leave. So I don't think that this was a moment of growth. I think that it was just a moment of him like having a lot of self-pity. Yeah. 
In the second book, which I did read because I, like, really, it was, like, a train wreck I couldn't look away from, he basically is, like, weaponizing that self-pity the entire time, and then when it stops working, and it's like, fine, I have all the money, I'm gonna take her. And then they have an intervention, and it works. Um, and he goes to anger management, and she gets to marry Atlas, and it all works out. And, like, I don't know, it made me tired. I was hoping Ryle would die in the second book. Mm. Like, really genuinely. Like, I think he should have, like, died in a tragic car accident, and it would have made everything better. Yeah. Like, I know I just said I don't want to be the dump him friend, but I... uh, Unfortunately, you in literature, damn girl, hope he dies, friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How'd we do? I think. I think the issue with this book is that it is so popular that like it's hard to talk about it without like one saying something that hasn't already said been said, and two like without being like, and if you like this book, you're stupid. No, like, I don't think you're stupid to like this book at all. There, For me personally, one, I would not buy this book nor want to on my bookshelf. Correct. Ditto. Two, something about it robbed me the wrong way. And I can't figure out what it was yet. But maybe I will figure it out by the compare and contrast episode and speak on it then but for now i just know that something isn't sitting right but i will say it's not a bad book about domestic violence it's but it is a, a bad book book. i want to read it's not a very well written book but again if you enjoy it a book doesn't have to be well written for you to like it. And so there's nothing wrong with liking it at all. Like it's sort of like with Verity, it's not really well written, but the the bones are solid. And I think we're gonna talk about that a lot in the Comp Con episode is like, why are the bones so solid? Why can't her editor pull good writing out of her if her bones are so good? Like, why is her editor allowing her to put an italicized word to emphasize something on every other page? (laughs) Like, that's bad writing. Like, if you are this popular of a writer, and this will be, this will be the last thing that I say. If you are this popular of a writer, you should have the best editor in the industry. So why is Colleen Hoover's editor doing her so dirty? Like, yeah. where is her editor? I just want to talk to her. Yeah, because when Sarah gave me this book to read, her criticism of Colleen Hoover was she says something poetic and then she explains it. To which, like, to like what you said, where was her editor to tell her to cut that next part out? If you said something poetic, girl, don't explain it. Just say it. Just say it, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. This has been All My Friends Are English Majors. Follow us on Instagram at English Majors Pod. 
Uh, send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. Um, we will be back next week with Ugly Love, and then we'll do CompCon. Um, hopefully, it will be a more fun episode next week. We'll see. Here's hoping. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody.